Well, Merry Christmas once again, everyone. Merry Christmas, Father. See, that's right. You guys were very chatty before Mass, and the least you could do is humor me now. I always appreciate the chance to be in the chapel. Uh, This is the kids' table Mass, as you know. They can have their fun at the adult table next door, and we can have our fun in here. How's that sound? On my mind today is a space adventure. Those of you who are mature enough, that's a nice way of saying it, will remember the space adventure that took place 55 years ago. On December 21st, 1968, Apollo 8 took off, blasted off of Earth with three astronauts on board, James Lovell, Bill Anders, and Frank Borman. And they essentially won the space race. You know, the Apollo program was filled with ups and downs and an awful lot of downs, right? But finally, that mission, Apollo 8, blasted enough out of Earth's atmosphere and became the first manned spacecraft to orbit the moon. And they hurled as fast as they could away from Earth, 240,000 miles away, And as they came around the front side of the moon and they saw Earth for the first time with human eyes looking outside in at Earth, they took one of the most famous pictures ever taken called Earthrise. But by the time they got up there and they had come around and seen Earth and begun their orbit, it was Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1968. And everybody was kind of ready for 1968 to end. Of course, that was the year that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and Bobby Kennedy assassinated. It was the year of the Democratic National Convention riots in Chicago. It was the Vietnam War raging. It was a time of great difficulty abroad and at home with great division, great sadness, great uncertainty, and great strife. And NASA asked those three astronauts if they wouldn't mind sending a message to Earth through radio communication that would be broadcast live. And their only requirement was that it had to be appropriate. So they could not play any Lady Gaga over the radio. I guess it would depend which Lady Gaga you played, but anyway. As they came around and they thought of all this going on down there, In the midst of the darkness of space and the gloomy landscape of the moon, they saw coming out of the darkness our little planet, green and blue and white, far off in the distance. And together they decided that really only one message would be appropriate. And this is what they said. For all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 have a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God divided the light from the darkness. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, 
And the gathering together of the waters he called the sea. And God saw that it was very good. It's estimated that as that was being read, one-third of the earth's population was listening live. So that for a time, Frank Borman's voice was the most listened to human voice in history. At that time, Time Magazine had decided that they were going to make the 1968 person of the year be the nemesis or the enemy because of the great strife that had happened in that year. But the effect of these words was so strong that at the very last minute, Time Magazine decided to make these three men the persons of the year because their message to earth resonated with people so deeply in such a time of great difficulty and confusion. And their message changed people's hearts and minds, if not for one day. I just want to remind you that the affairs of our little planet can seem like really big. And for us, they are quite ultimate, aren't they? Again, those of you who are mature enough among us to have a good, healthy sense of perspective, you remember 1968. You remember the great difficulty. You remember the great strife. And we look upon that strife today. A divided nation in many ways, conflict in the world. But I want to remind you that in the midst of all of this, the message remains the same, that God looks upon what he has created and not really what his creation has done with his creation, right? But what he created, the beauty of it, the genuity of it, the sincerity of it, the authenticity of it, the beauty of the human person, the beauty of nature. He looks upon it still and he says, it's very good. It's very good. My first pastor, when we would decorate the cathedral in Joliet for Christmas, he would come in and he would say, it's more festive than Bethlehem in here. And I don't know if you've been listening to the news at all, but this year, even this little chapel is more festive than Bethlehem. The priests that run the Church of the Nativity and the city government of Bethlehem have decided not to decorate for Christmas this year. Did you know that? No lights, no public displays, no ornaments, no music, no parades, no nothing. Of course, they're in solidarity with the people throughout the Holy Land who for this year, Christmas, is a very tragic time. And we want to be in solidarity with them as well, as best as we can. But here's what I want to remind you, that Jesus was born (laughs) into a world not unlike this one. If you come to Midnight Mass ever, you've heard this long kind of proclamation called the Christmas Proclamation. And it situates the birth of Jesus in the course of world history. The 25th day of December, when ages beyond number had run their course, when God in the beginning created heaven and earth and formed man in his own likeness, when century upon century had passed since the Almighty set his bow in the clouds after the great flood, in the 21st century since Abraham, the father in faith, the 13th century since the Exodus, the thousandth year since David was anointed king, the 65th week of the prophecy of Daniel, 194th Olympiad, the year 752 from the foundation of the city of Rome, the 42nd year of the reign of Caesar Octavian Augustus, the whole world being at peace, Jesus Christ, eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his most loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man. 
beautiful. I get tingles when I read it. Except the world was not at peace. The whole world being at peace, I sometimes want to know who wrote this thing. It's beautiful. Your numbers are probably correct. I don't think the world was at peace. I don't think the city where Jesus was born was at peace. Certainly Jerusalem was not at peace. If it was so peaceful, how come it was only 37 years after he died and rose again that the Romans destroyed the temple? How come there's so much strife and difficulty, the whole world being at peace? How can we say that? We can say it in the same way that the astronauts looked down at Earth in 1968 and said, that is a peaceful place. That is a peaceful reality. There's something meta about it. There's something bigger than itself about it. And if we can get back into touch with that, baby, that will be a secret for us. That will be a secret for us. So don't think that Jesus came into a world that was perfect to make it more perfect. Jesus came into a place that was terribly troubled. And when he died, it was terribly troubled. And when he rose from the dead, it was terribly troubled. And when he ascended into heaven, it was terribly troubled. And when he sent the Holy Spirit on the apostles and Mary at Pentecost, it was terribly troubled. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not come to make bad situations good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Get that tattooed on yourselves, okay? Christianity is not about telling other people what to do. Christianity is about telling people what God has done for you in Christ, which is rescue you from death, from sin, from the power that it has over you in the here and now, and to give you a chance at living a different kind of life. And if you go on Reddit or you read the comment sections, you'll find all these things about how it's still Christians and the wars of religion and the bloodshed and the this. There are people who do things in the name of God who wouldn't know God if he knocked on their door wearing a name tag. But everywhere the people who believe in Jesus, who have been changed by Jesus, who are made new by this message, everywhere those people go, there is always life. There's always life. There's always color and beauty. There's always something new because that's what Jesus brings. He doesn't say, I'm going to make things perfect. He says, I'm going to make things new. So my encouragement for you this year, 55 years later when things seem to be pretty much the same, is to remember that there's a whole other order we could be living on. And that the only way to do it is to mimic the people who did it before us. Those 12 silly, kind of stupid men from Galilee who were not very smart and not very good at what they were doing, but Jesus called them and they believed him and he changed them and they changed the world. They changed the world. They took him seriously enough to say, maybe in the midst of all this strife, the money won't change it like I've tried. The job won't change it like I've tried. The nice car, the nice house, the perfect decorations won't change my reality the way that I've tried. So maybe Jesus, it's you. Maybe Jesus, it's you who can change me. Because the world is not going to change unless I change. You know, that's the stinky reality of this whole thing, isn't it? (laughs) The world is not going to be any different unless I first make the decision to become different. And leave my old, wayward, silly, sinful self behind so that he can pick me up and make me new and make me into what he wants me to be. And why do we want to do it? Why do we want to do it? If the world wasn't worth it, we wouldn't want to do it. 
if there wasn't a sense in each one of you, no matter how hard your hearts are today, if there wasn't a sense that this is good, that we exist, that this place is good, that the world is worth believing in, that we are worth believing in each other, encouraging each other, standing by each other, the message of the astronauts would not have resonated, the arch nemesis or whatever would have been the person of the year, and we would have gone on our merry way. But there's something in that message that resonates with us, isn't there? That I am deeply good, and I might not be so good now, but man, I want to be good again. Or I want to become as good as I could possibly be. And I think it's possible, and I know it's possible. And at the end of the day, the earth is good. Creation is good. And it's good to be here, and it's good to be together. Amen? Amen. I know that sounds maybe pie in the sky, or rocket ship in the sky, maybe. But I think when it comes down to it, it is a lot more possible than we think it is. And if you're wondering this year, what exactly are we doing celebrating Christmas? We're celebrating precisely that, that little nugget of hope. The fact that we can hope, that we can believe that this thing is going to be a lot better. But it starts with us and it starts today. So I'll just leave you. I love the way that they signed off their little Christmas Eve message from the sky. From the crew of Apollo 8, and I'll just add from all the priests at Saints Peter and Paul, we close with good night, good luck, and Merry Christmas. God bless all of you and all of you on the good, good earth.